Let's turn in our Bibles together to the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 12. First Corinthians 12. Now we just signed our six-year-old son up for spring soccer here in Beaumont, and he is super excited. And I know my wife and I are pretty excited about that as well, particularly that he will be playing a team sport. Uh, we think that there's a lot of value in that, and I think one of the things that might happen is he will probably find that he's not the fastest uh, player or best player on the field. Uh, but even if he is, uh, hopefully he will learn about the value and significance of teamwork. Um, maybe in this soccer season or in the years to come. In team sports, individuals do not win on their own. Uh, Soccer, for example, takes 11 players all giving it their best for 90 minutes. Uh, But who, if the soccer team wins, who tends to receive all the praise, all the credit, all the glory? Well, oftentimes... It's whoever's scoring the goals and whoever's putting the ball in the back of the net because that's the flashy work on the field, right? Uh, whoever scores, that's, that's the focal point. But that would have never happened. Uh, the team would have never won without the goalkeeper stopping the other team from scoring. Uh, that would have never happened with the whole line of defense, all the defenders and all the midfielders who probably ran more than anyone else on the field. Winning requires maximum effort from the entire team. And in order for our church to fulfill the Great Commission, everybody needs to contribute. Everybody needs to play their position. Everyone needs uh, to fulfill their role that God has given them. And that's how the work gets done. And yet, just like athletics, as you think about church life, especially if, uh, if you've been part of a church for any length of time, one of the things that tends to happen is that a handful of people in church life Uh, tend to take or uh, just kind of naturally receive all of the credit because they are doing what might be labeled the flashiest work in the church. In church life, people tend to misunderstand and abuse what Scripture refers to as spiritual gifts. Um, In the Corinthian church, there were people with some pretty flashy spiritual gifts. Uh, For example, in Corinth, many of them liked and were capable of speaking in tongues, and that was pretty flashy in their minds. And those gifts, as a result, were abused in the sense that they were used for the purpose of self-glorification and self-aggrandizement. And meanwhile, other spiritual gifts were probably being minimized in the Corinthian body and assembly. God had given these people spiritual gifts, and somehow they managed to make those gifts about themselves. God gave you 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 1 to 11, so that you would get something straight. God wants you and I to be really, really clear on something. You need to need to clearly grasp the Holy Spirit's impact on the body. I want to read 1 Corinthians chapter 12 beginning in verse, verse 1 and I'll read down through verse 11. Now concerning spiritual gifts brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans you were led astray to mute idols, however you were led. Therefore I want you to understand that no one speaking in the spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit, and there are varieties of service, but the same Lord, and there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all and everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For to the one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, And to another, the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit. 
to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by the one Spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another the ability to distinguish between spirits, to another various kinds of tongues, and to another the interpretation of tongues. All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. Uh, in verse 1, Paul takes up the matter of spiritual gifts, and that theme will be the focus, actually, of the next three chapters, chapter 12, 13, and 14. Uh, we're often quite familiar with 1 Corinthians 13, the great chapter on love, but I think it's important to rem- recognize that that chapter is actually within the larger context of spiritual gifts. This, here today, we want to look at two clarifications uh, remembering that God wants you to be really, really clear on something. He wants you to clearly grasp the Holy Spirit's impact on the body. Uh, so that's probably going to mean you need some clarification on a couple things in particular. First, you need clarification on the Spirit's influence. How do you know when what you see is the influence of the Spirit of God? What is the distinguishing mark of the working of, of the Holy Spirit of God within the people of God? Paul wants the Corinthians actually just to look back for a moment at their former life. Why don't you just look backwards into your life uh, before you came to Jesus Christ? And from their former life of paganism, he's going to point out the fact that there are many supernatural influences. Look at verse 2. He writes, You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols, however you were led. In their former life, the Corinthians had been led astray to mute idols. I mean, they, we read in previous chapters about how they were going to these idol temples and eating these meals uh, to, to basically these lifeless idols. But behind those lifeless idols, there was demonic activity. There was the supernatural influence of demonic beings. And in verse 2, Paul says, You got there however it was that you were led implying that maybe that happened, they, they were led to, to worship those mute idols, maybe through a variety of different influences. Maybe it was through a, um, something that they had witnessed. Maybe they witnessed something that was seemingly miraculous or truly was, uh, appeared to be miraculous. And maybe they watched one of these pagan gods, one of these uh, mute idols, heal someone who was sick. Or maybe they, their, their whole community realized that they were having a, a really bad farming season and that there was a drought and they weren't going to have the crops and they were worried and they, they prayed to this false god and rain came. Or maybe they had heard a prophecy that had come true or listened to worshipers uh, speak in tongues or, or they, they seemed to witness something supernatural and they were led astray somehow, some way to these mute idols. Paul's point is that not every spiritual influence bears the fingerprints of the Spirit of God, even if it's flashy. And that ought to give us pause, even what we see in our own gatherings, in our own assemblies. Just because something seems really, really amazing, does, it, does that actually mean that the Spirit of God's behind it? The Spirit's influence is unique. Look at verse 3. He says, Therefore I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed. If a person's being influenced by the Spirit of God, they're never going to say that. And on the flip side, no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. It's the Spirit's influence that causes a person to say that. Without the Spirit of God, that, that cannot even be said in, in the true sense, in, in a meaningful sense. The influence and ministry of the Holy Spirit causes Jesus Christ to be magnified. 
That is the hallmark of the Holy Spirit's working. The Holy Spirit never diminishes Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit never detracts from Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit always magnifies Jesus Christ and perpetually exalts him. One writer says the ultimate criterion of the Spirit's activity is the exaltation of Jesus Christ as Lord, which in turn expresses itself in loving concern for others. Why is that so important in the discussion of spiritual gifts? Uh, Paul's going to spend three chapters talking about spiritual gifts. Why does he start there? Well, when Jesus Christ is magnified, the person with the gift is not. And spiritual gifts, uh, I think it becomes very clear, they're not about you, they're not about me. But Christ and the church, uh, all the spiritual gifts ultimately bring glory to Jesus Christ. They never oppose him. Uh, They never take him out of the spotlight. They always put Jesus Christ on full display. How do you know if the Spirit of God is working? Through uh, some spiritual gift or in an assembly or in a body, well, you're going to see something happen. Jesus Christ is going to be the focal point. Some time ago, uh, my wife, she was perusing Value Village, looking for deals. And she found a coach purse that she bought at Value Village for $25. I don't know what she was thinking, if she wanted to use it for herself, or maybe she thought, oh, if I don't want this, I can sell it. I won't lose any money, whatever the case. And she brought it home, and she started to look at it a little bit uh, closer and realized that it was actually a knockoff um, coach purse. I mean, if it was actually a coach purse, I guess those tend to have some value to them, but this was fake. It probably wasn't worth $25 brand new. It lacked the key qualities necessary to identify it as real and authentic. You can identify if a spiritual influence is authentically the Spirit of God or not. It will have the distinguishing marks and characteristics. You and I need clarification on the Spirit's influence. Don't assume that any and every supernatural influence is the work of the Spirit of God. Uh, If you think just at at paganism, there's all kinds of things going on in the world around us that actually is more from from the realm of the demonic or is maybe Satan, an angel of light, seeming to do great and marvelous things. Or if you think even in the realm of what some people might call Christian, uh, for example, you would have someone like Benny Hinn healing people and it's all under the, the, some type of Christian label, and yet all of that is drawing attention to him and his quote-unquote healing powers. It's about a man. That is not how the work of the Spirit of God is. All the focus goes to Christ. Along similar lines, I think that we could say that great giftedness is not a high mark of spirituality. It's not a mark of high spirituality. Uh, Just because you see uh, someone doing what appears to be great things, that doesn't mean that they are inherently spiritual. And also remember that the work of the Spirit always shines the light on Jesus Christ. As we approach this matter of spiritual gifts, uh, we're going to find that you and I all have at least one. And if we're going to use those gifts in a way that is in line with Scripture, we will always use those gifts in a way that Jesus Christ is ultimately magnified. A second clarification You need clarification on the Spirit's gifts. God wants you to understand spiritual gifts. He's given us three whole chapters devoted to the topic. Uh, What are they? Where did they come from? Why are they given? We would have all types of questions like that. And this text offers a few teachings on spiritual gifts. Uh, But before we dive into that, maybe it would just be helpful if we ask, well, what is a spiritual gift? There's lots of talk about spiritual gifts. We've got lists of spiritual gifts. What is a spiritual gift? 
The second half of chapter 12 that we'll look at next week relates spiritual gifts to the various parts of the human body. Uh, It's going to be put in the context of a hand or a foot or an eye or an ear and how that body part functions within the body. And the human body, each of those parts has a role or a function that benefits the rest of the body. Your eyes work in such a way that you can see where you're going and not run into the wall or trip over whatever's on the ground. Spiritual gifts are ministry functions. If you could just think of that word, it's a function. A spiritual gift is a ministry function of a member of Christ's body for the sake of the rest of the body. It's a ministry function. With that in mind, uh, let's dive into four teachings on spiritual gifts from this particular text. First, spiritual gifts come in great variety. Look at verses 4 to 6. Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. Uh, In other words, we could say there are a variety of ministry functions within the body of Jesus Christ. And those ministry functions, 1 Peter chapter 4, I think it's verse 11, puts them all under two broader uh, categories. You have verbal ministry functions and nonverbal ministry functions. What are they? Well, the New Testament actually contains five different lists of spiritual gifts Uh, that mention a total of 19 different ministry functions. Two of those lists are here in chapter 12, our text today, and also another at the end of chapter 12. One of those lists is right here, as I mentioned in this text, uh, but none of the lists are quite the same. It's not like you grab all five of those lists and, and, and put them side by side and have the exact same list. You don't. Making it unlikely that we have some kind of exhaustive list. Rather, all these lists seem to be more representational in nature. In verses 8 to 10, though, Paul is going to list nine particular ministry functions, as I said, kind of as a a representative example of what we're talking about, what he's talking about. And he's demonstrating his point that there are a variety of gifts. Look at verses 8 to 10, and he's going to list some of these. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, And to another, the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by the one Spirit. To another, the working of miracles. To another, prophecy. To another, the ability to distinguish between spirits. To another, various kinds of tongues. To another, the interpretation of tongues. He just mentioned nine different things. Wisdom, uh, knowledge, faith. Uh, What exactly that is, maybe that is a reference to what we might think of faith. Or maybe the idea there is faithfulness. The gift of healing, working miracles, prophecy, distinguishing spirits, tongues, interpretation of tongues. He's just giving us a representative sample. And as modern interpreters, what we want to do, uh, we typically go through and we go, well, how can we pinpoint what each of those are? Can we define each of those ministry functions with some precision? And that certainly has value. And as we work through these chapters, we will do a bit of that. However, that's not Paul's intent here in this text. He's simply giving us a sampling of the great variety of spiritual gifts that God has given to people within the body. To the Corinthian church, here in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. 
Spiritual gifts come in great variety, and that is the case in every body of believers. That would be the case right here at Beaumont Baptist Church. People often then ask, okay, so there's all of these different ministry functions, all of these different uh, spiritual gifts. How do I know what my spiritual gift is? How do I know what, what my function is within the body? And what we often do uh, when people ask that question and say, well, why don't we point you to a spiritual gift list? Or why don't you take this spiritual gift inventory and just kind of see where your aptitudes and interests lie? And I certainly think that there is a degree of value in doing that, but I also think that there are some pitfalls to be avoided in that as well. We're quick to make spiritual gifting actually something mystical. If you find yourself asking, what's my gift? Your first inclination is probably going to be to look within you and go, what are my aptitudes and what are my interests? And it's all almost a a bit inward focused. If you find yourself asking, what's my gift or what's my ministry function? Why don't you follow up that question with this one? Where are there ministry needs within the body that I am equipped to meet? Looking within might be the wrong place to start, but looking up and seeing what the needs are, you're probably going to get to the answer pretty quick. A spiritual gift is when you have the ability to function in a certain ministry capacity within the church, and then you're willing to function in that way. And so you do by the power of the Spirit of God. And do you know what happens? You just exercised your spiritual gift. When you do that, it's a spiritual gift to you and Christ's body, the church. You looked up and said, there, there's a ministry need and I have the ability to function in that capacity. And so I'm going to do it to the glory of God. That is a spiritual gift. And in some ways, I don't think it's any more complicated than that. Also, one way that you know if you have a spiritual gift is that typically the body tends to look to you to do it. Now, sometimes people think, oh, I, I have that spiritual gift. No one's asking you to exercise it. You know, you know what I mean? Maybe you don't. So the gifts are varied in number. Second teaching on spiritual gifts. Spiritual gifts come from the same source. All of the spiritual gifts come from our triune God. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Every single one of the gifts. I'm going to read verses 4 to 9 again. I know we've already read these verses. But I just want to give you one task as I read through these verses. Why don't you see if you can count how many times the source of the gifts is repeated? How many times uh, does God in his word just hammer where all these gifts come from? So I'll read verses 4 to 9. You just try to see if you can tally up how many times the source of the gifts is mentioned. Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all and everyone. Okay, if you're counting right, you should at least be at three right now. Verse seven, to each is given the manifestation of the spirit for the common good. For to one is given through the spirit, the utterance of wisdom. And to another, the utterance of knowledge, according to the same spirit. To another, faith by the same spirit. To another, gifts of healing by the one spirit. Okay, we just, in in those verses, I think, hopefully I read it in such a way where you picked up the theme. Uh, The source of the gifts, if I counted it kind of right, 
was mentioned at least seven times. God's just beating it again and again and again. Where do all these come from? The same God, the same Spirit, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. God is the source of the gifts, and the Spirit apportions them out to God's people. Uh, God distributes the gifts to every person within the body. And there are a couple of rich truths here. Uh, one would be that God distributes hand-picked gifts to each individual. Look at verse 11. It says that all of these, all of these gifts are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. There is no person in the body of Christ who's an exception to verse 11. I don't know that I have a gift. I think I got left out somewhere in there. I don't think there's a way for me to function within this body. No, no, no. There's not a single person who's left out of verse 11. If you're a believer, it's, it's not just that there's kind of some place for you to fit within the body. No, it's more specific than that. If you are a believer, God has actually handpicked at least one ministry function for you to minister through in the body of Christ. He handpicked it for you. You have a role to play. Everyone does. Uh, there's no such thing in the body of Christ as an appendix. Uh, some of you have had your appendix taken out and you look great. You're doing just fine. And none of us knew what that thing was even in your body for. Uh, I'm sure it probably does something, but doctors haven't figured it out yet. There's no such thing as an appendix in the body of Christ. There's no part of the body that doesn't have a, a functional purpose. In verses 7 to 10, we see a couple of phrases repeated again and again and again. Uh, it, it sounds like this. He goes, to the one, to another, to one, to another, to another, to another, to another, to another, to another. God distributes hand-picked gifts or ministry functions to each individual within the body. Several years ago, I was at a men's wild game dinner that had somewhere between 100 and 200 men. And when we walked in for that evening, at each place setting, there was a gift, and it was a, a little multi-tool. And each of the multi-tools was identical. We all got the exact same gift, and it was great. But that's not how God distributes his gifts within the body. God handpicks gifts or ministry functions for each individual. Uh, my dad grew up with four siblings, so there were five kids in his family. And each of um, my dad's siblings all had children of their own. And so when we gathered at my grandparents' house for Christmas time, there were 16 of us cousins on that side of the family. And we would all gather uh, there at Christmas time, maybe share a meal together. But at some point, Grandma and Grandpa would all gather us in the same room and we would sit in a giant circle. All the aunts and uncles, all the cousins, uh, Grandma and Grandpa, great-grandparents, extended family in this massive circle. And we each got uh, one gift handpicked just for us by Grandma and Grandpa. And we would go around that massive circle one by one and open those gifts. I think that more accurately depicts what God has done in his household, in his church. The Spirit of God handpicked at least one ministry function for you. God distributes handpicked gifts to each individual. And that includes you. You have one. You have a function within the body. Also, God, hand, God distributes handpicked gifts according to his will. Verse 11 again. All these are empowered by one and the same spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. Uh, God has distributed ministry functions 
according to his desire and wishes. You didn't go, it's not like, well, the pastor distributed them, or you went and picked what you liked, or, or whatever. No, no, no. God did that. God has distributed many ministry functions according to what he desires and what he wishes. His distribution of the gifts is perfect and without any error and without any mistake. And it's realities like this that should keep us from taking pride in our gifts and taking pride in whatever ministry functions we may be fulfilling. And on the flip side of that, minimizing others. Oh, the Corinthians, oh, he speaks in tongues and she does this and he does that. And these are the great gifts. Wait a second. God in his sovereignty, according to his perfect plan and will, with each individual in the body said, here you go. And here you go. And here you go. I have a function. I have a role for you to play in this body. In God's will, he has apportioned the gifts through the spirit of God. And that would mean that there are no second-class parts of the body. There are no second-class functions within the body. We've all been gifted by the Spirit's will. And if you recognize that, you'll value each of your brothers and the role that they play in the body, and you will realize that it is priceless and significant and needed. A third teaching on spiritual gifts. Spiritual gifts come for the common good. Look at down at verse 7. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit. Why? For the common good. God gave you a way that you can function within this body for the good of the body. For the common good. Remember, how do we define a spiritual gift? Well, a spiritual gift, it's just a ministry function of a member of Christ's body for the sake of the rest of the body. What the Corinthians got wrong with their gifts uh, was that they weren't for themselves. God didn't give you a ministry function for your personal self-fulfillment and self-aggrandizement. Well, I can stand up in front of all these people and I can speak in tongues and they go, Wow, ooh, ah, isn't he amazing and awesome? Well, God gave you a ministry function for the betterment of the body. Why does the Bible refer to these as spiritual gifts? Have you ever thought about that? Why, why would God just take a, a bunch of different functional things and refer to them as spiritual gifts? Well, each of those two words, spiritual and gift, indicate the source of the gifts. It's the Spirit who, who gave these things to us freely as gifts. Where did you get your ministry function from? God gave it to you. Did God need to give it to you? Do you deserve it? No, it's a gift from God. Does God need you in his body? Could God get the work done without you? Oh yeah, he could get it done without any of us. And yet he gave us all a role or a function to play in the body. Why else does the Bible refer to these ministry functions as spiritual gifts? Well, uh, the Greek word that's translated gifts, uh, charisma or charisma. You think uh, sometimes we refer to the, the charismatic movement. That's all about uh, spiritual gifts. The Greek word translated gifts, charisma or charisma, comes from the same root word as the word grace, charis. And that's why these spiritual gifts are sometimes called grace gifts. They are the manifestation of God's grace to each and every one of us. Uh, We don't deserve them. When God gave you a function within the body, that is something that you did not deserve. Further, when you exercise the gift that God graciously gave to you, 
Do you know what happens? You exercising that, that grace gift, you um, serving in that function, do you know what that becomes? It becomes actually a channel of God's grace to the body. You become the channel of God's grace to the body by exercising your spiritual gift. In verse 7, God explains why he gave each of us a ministry function. He did so for the common good. God loves his people. And that's obviously manifested itself by the fact that Jesus Christ gave his son. But, but it shows up in other ways. He loves his people and he wants to grace the people that he loves through you and through me. How does God want to show grace to the people of this body? He wants to show it through you. Whatever he handed you, whatever ministry function he gave you, he gave it to you so that he might grace the body. Fourth teaching on spiritual gifts. Spiritual gifts come with batteries. Don't you just love when you buy something and it says batteries not included or batteries sold separately? You have the item, but you don't have the power supply. God's grace gifts always come with batteries. The same God who gives the gifts supplies the power to use them. He gave you something. He gave you a ministry function. He gave you something to do right here at Beaumont Baptist Church. And with that, he gave you the power to do it. Uh, This teaching shows up two times in this text. First in verse 6. If you look there, it says there are varieties of activities. But it is the same God who empowers them all and everyone. And then if you skip down to verse 11, all these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. All the gifts run on the same power supply. All of them. That's what verse 11 teaches. Uh, Just as all the gifts come from the same source. Where did they all come from? They came from the Spirit of God. They came from our triune God. And they're given all for the same purpose. What's that? The common good of the body. And they, as well, they all run on the same power supply. Uh, power tools have come a long way over the last couple decades. It used to be that all your power tools plugged into the wall. I remember watching my dad use some of his drills, and you know this thing's amazing, but it plugs into the wall, right? And maybe he's got an extension cord running. That's how all the power tools used to be, most of them. But that's not the case anymore. Now it's your car that plugs into the wall, not your power tools. Um, you've got a battery for those. If you were to walk into Home Depot today, and maybe some of you just did this this weekend, you walk into Home Depot, and if you were to walk across the front of the store, down that main aisle, and you look at the displays on the ends of the aisles, what you're almost guaranteed to see is you're going to see some type of power tool display. Maybe it's a Ryobi uh, power tool display, or DeWalt, or Milwaukee, right there on the end of the aisle. And do you know how they advertise? You're standing there at the end of the aisle, and you're looking up at 45 different power tools. All right there on the end of the aisle. And it says, basically, all 45 of these tools run on this single 18-volt battery. Or whatever the the battery is now. All of them. Off this single source. As long as you've got this battery, they'll all run. I think that's pretty cool. And that's how God's grace gifts are. God's lineup of ministry functions all run off the same power source. And don't forget... It's not simply that they all run off of the same power supply. All the gifts require the same power supply. Just as a power tool won't function without the battery, you cannot function as God wants you to within the body unless it's by the power of the Spirit of God. You can have the whole lineup of tools, 
All 45 of them. But if you don't have the battery, you're not going to use a single one of them. I think we need to be reminded that the functions that God has given us, the roles that he's given us to play within the body, you realize that the power is not in you to do that. It's just not. You're going to need to rely on God for this, or your personal battery will burn up and burn out really, really fast. Whose power are you running on? Whatever it is that God's given you to do within this body, however it is that he's called you to function and minister within this body, how are you trying to get that work done? You can do that in your own strength and burn up and burn out. Or you can rely on the Spirit of God and say, God, would you give me the grace? Would you help me in this? I don't have it in me. But apparently, if you've called me to this function, you've also given me the grace and the power to serve in it. God, help me. And he gives us his grace. He gives us his power. And if we find ourselves tempted to think, even for a moment, that our spiritual gift or function is somehow superior to someone else's, let's not forget that, listen, you can't even exercise your gift. You can't even exercise your function in the body apart from the Spirit of God. You can't even do it. There's no superior gifts. There's no superior roles or functions within, the, within Christ's body. And so you and I need clarification on the Spirit's gifts. Uh, last week we had someone join our church, and I just uh, caught a passing comment in that testimony where she said, I, I don't want to be a pew sitter. And basically what she was saying is, I recognize that, that God wants me to function within this body. He doesn't want me to just come be at the services, though that's wonderful and that's great. God actually wants me to be an integral, integral functioning part of this body and this assembly. And that's God's plan for all of us. You need to clearly grasp the Holy Spirit's impact on the body. He's going to magnify Jesus Christ. The Spirit always magnifies Jesus Christ and he gifts his people in varied ways for the good of the body. A couple of thoughts as we wrap up here today. Uh, spiritual gifts are for more than Sunday morning. There are 168 hours in any given week. So question for you, when throughout the week are the grace gifts operational? Are they operational for two to three or two to four hours on Sunday? You know, we've all gathered here and some people came up and let us in singing and some people played instruments and I'm standing up here preaching and there's people uh, teaching and helping in, in the kids class and nursery and different things are going to happen in this two to three or four hours. Is that the only time that grace gifts are operational? No. The grace gifts are for the entire week. And along with that, spiritual gifts are for more than church programs. Uh, we're quick to associate the grace gifts with the types of things that I just mentioned. The programmatic side of church life. And they certainly do relate to that, right? Uh, as, as the programmatic side of church happens, uh, people are using their spiritual giftedness. Absolutely. While they do relate to that, they also relate to so much more. So much of church life happens outside the walls of uh, a building or outside the walls of some ministry program. And in fact, probably the vast majority of church life does. Things like making a meal or helping someone with a task because you can and, and you love your brother or you, you love that person's family and you, you can function in a way that blesses that person or that family. Or maybe throughout the week, 
someone you love here in this assembly and you care about and they've got something going on in their life and do you know what you do? You just listen. And you sit down and you talk with them and you just hear them out and you, you let them unload their burden and whatever it is on their thoughts and on their, on their thoughts and their minds and maybe you sit down and you pray with them. Or maybe you have the chance just to uh, give them godly biblical counsel. You go, oh, yeah, I'm no preacher. Yeah, but you're a Christian who, who's read your Bible and knows something about it. Or teaching someone one-on-one or, or, or trying to disciple someone and help them grow. Or giving of yourself or your money to help another brother in Christ. I, I want to be generous. There's a need there. And God has graced me in such a way that at least at this point in life, I can help meet that need. And so I'm going to. Or maybe at other times it's, hey, here's this brother or sister and I love them and I'm worried about them and they don't seem like they're doing well and I'm concerned and I don't really want to have this conversation, but I'm going to sit down and we're going to, I'm going to have a hard conversation and love because I care about them and I'm concerned and I'm, I, I want to see them follow Jesus, not go a different direction. Uh, today, after the service, we're going to share a potluck meal together. And uh, there are lots of things that people like me will probably not notice and things that you might not notice as well, but probably after we eat, someone's people, probably multiple people are going to go to the kitchen and do dishes for 30 minutes to an hour and wipe off tables. Uh, last Sunday when we had table time after our worship service and we're gathered around, uh, it was great. We've got all, all these people gathered around tables talking about God's word and fellowshipping together. And I noticed uh, a woman carrying around someone else's little child making sure that, that that child was calm so that mom could be there fellowshipping with the body. Uh, someone, we're about to partake of the Lord's Supper, someone throughout the week went out and bought the juice and bought the crackers, and most of us probably never think about that. Uh, probably tomorrow morning, someone's going to take uh, whatever was given here today, the, the, the money that was given electronically and physically, that's going to all be tallied up and accounted for, and somebody's going to make the run to the bank to deposit that. I mean, there are just endless ways and all kinds of things that happen in church life, most of which are never seen, and most of which are not on public display, and most of which are not things that people are like, ooh, oh, wow, that person's amazing. The Corinthians were all about the flashy gifts, but 95% of church life and ministry is anything and everything but flashy. Most of the time it's just very, very ordinary, and yet that's how the Great Commission goes forward and how the gospel advances. And one other quick thought. Disciples of Jesus Christ use their spiritual gifts and disciple makers help others use and develop theirs. Uh, as a disciple of Jesus Christ, you have a responsibility to function within this body and use your grace gifts, as do I. But we don't want to stop there. God's called each of us to be disciple makers. And if part of being a disciple of Jesus Christ is using the gifts he's given you, then part of being a disciple maker would actually be helping others use theirs. And I would challenge you and encourage you, how can you do that? How can you be a multiplier and equipper? Okay, you're going to use your spiritual gifts. Is there someone that you can bring into that with you? You're going to serve in some everyday function within this body. Can you recruit someone to serve alongside of you? Can you tap someone on the shoulder? Whatever it is you're doing. You're setting up chairs on, on, on Sunday morning. Is there someone who, who could also do that with you? That a simple tap on the shoulder would get them involved you, serving and functioning within the body. 
Um, you're serving in some other ministry or children's ministry or whatever else. Is there somebody you can tap on the shoulder? Hey, I think, I think God could use you here. In so many different realms and spaces, but disciple makers really are multipliers in the sense that I want to see my brothers use their, their ministry functions as well by the grace of God. You need to clearly grasp the Holy Spirit's impact on the body. And by God's grace, I hope we'll all do that, that Christ will be magnified here at Beaumont Baptist Church and that we'll be a high-functioning body, uh, not a body that uh, has ba- basically been paralyzed because a large portion of the body is not even functioning. By God's grace, may we be a high-functioning body. Would you bow with me?